On today's show, a discussion of the positional value of running back and the importance of rushing in the NFL. Before we get there, I would be absolutely overjoyed to give you one reason why gambling should be legal everywhere. Thursday night, we have a jarring, jarring NFL matchup. Seattle Seahawks, plus two at home, who we will be betting, taking on the Los Angeles Rams. Now, this is jarring for one very specific reason. Thursday night, we know. It's a night to dumpster dive. You get the worst teams. You put them there on an island. We all laugh. We all have fun. We all go into the dumpster together. That's why the Texans are there. That's why the Jaguars are there. That's why the Bengals are there. You never ever, ever get two good football teams and put them into a Thursday night game. That goes contrary to the laws of nature, to the laws of what football should be on a Thursday night. Yet here we are. Rams, Seahawks. Two good football teams stuck inside the Thursday night dumpster. So because we're football fans, we will watch, we will bet. I mentioned earlier, Seattle Seahawks are plus two. Thursday night, typically favors the home team, okay? If that home team is quarterbacked by Russell Wilson, then I am all, all in on betting on that team. 12th man, Russell Wilson, great home field advantage, great quarterback, and they're getting points at home as an underdog. I am all in on Seattle plus two. I'm all in on Seattle plus eight. You're using a six-point teaser and pairing them with somebody else on Sunday. And we have our reason why gambling should be legal everywhere. Because in a matchup of Pete Carroll madly chomping gum and Sean McVay worrying if every head on his hair is gelled properly into place, I would like to wager upon the gum chewer. And now, Sports with Chris Rawl. We begin today's show with a quote from Danny Heifetz of The Ringer. The average NFL carry last year went for 4.4 yards, tied for the highest mark in league history. But the average pass play last season gained 6.4 yards, or almost 50% more yardage per play. End quote. So I read that to set the stage for today's discussion. It's kind of a two-part discussion. One surrounds the importance of running back and what I believe to kind of be the interchangeable nature of that position. From a team building perspective, how many resources you should actually allocate towards that position. Uh, The second part of this discussion is rushing in general and just the idea of how important is it in present day NFL? We know it's a passing league and can you craft an identity around running the football that leads to success? Now, We hear that stat, and the logical conclusion always, especially from the nerd side of things, is, well, an average pass play gains 6.4 yards, an average run play gains 4.4. Why would you not always choose the play that gains two more yards? Very logical, right? Pass play results in more yards per play, so do them all the time around the clock. It's kind of the theory that Mike Leach subscribes to at the collegiate level. Just throw all the time. It averages more yards. Pretty simple, right? Uh, This mindset is, uh, amongst other things, rule changes and that kind of stuff, it's fueling the rise of passing in general across the board in NFL and in college. That's why all these records are being broken every single season. It's also fueling the rise of passing on 
early downs. Uh, It's no coincidence that the Kansas City Chiefs, the team that I think most of us would associate with high-powered, prolific offense over the last few years, it's no coincidence that that team leads the NFL currently in pass percentage on early down, early game situations at 67%. Now, why we look at that is because early down, early game situations, that's before the the score starts to dictate what your play calls actually are. If you're trailing, you're going to throw more. If you're in front, you're going to run more to bleed the clock. Early down, early game is who you want to be. It's your core philosophy. So Kansas City leading the league and saying two out of three times on these early down situations, we want to throw the ball. That's a clear indicator that the best offense with one of the brightest offensive minds, best quarterback, best collection of skill, talent, all that kind of stuff. We're leaning into that. It's in our best interest to do so. That's how we won a Super Bowl two years ago and made another last year. Okay. So you see the importance of passing. You see the best offenses around the league for the vast or the vast majority of offenses around the league leaning into that. And so now we circle back to that first talking point that I want to get into. The importance of running back. In the past, it's treated as one of the most valuable positions in football. Teams are drafting running backs high in the NFL draft over and over. They're giving them contracts, saying, oh, we need a great tailback in order to win. Play defense, run the football, that's how you're going to win. And so now I I want to examine this through a, a, a question that has been popping up for me pretty consistently over the last few years. And I was thinking about, again, over the last couple of weeks as I've been watching NFL game. And the question is, is there truly a separation in talent at the position of running back? Or do your surroundings dictate your ability to perform to such a degree that nothing else really matters? Now, I'll preface that question by saying, if you can play tailback in the NFL, you are an incredible, incredible athlete. One of the most gifted athletes on planet Earth. Okay, That's the threshold entry to being a tailback in the NFL. So knowing that that is true for every running back on every NFL roster, and even those on the cut line, playing on practice squads or undrafted free agents, that kind of stuff, all of those people are incredible, incredible athletes. So acknowledging that and understanding that is when we can start to engage with this question. How much does individual talent actually matter at the position? Okay, so a good contrast would be to look at quarterback and say when Aaron Rodgers is injured, like he was a couple years ago, and Brett Hundley comes in, it's pretty easy to very quickly identify how much individual talent can matter at that position, a position that still is very dependent upon surroundings because Aaron Rodgers plays quarterback for the Packers and they win and they have a high-powered offense, and Brett Hundley comes in, and they lose, and they struggle to move the ball, period. It's very easy to identify that, even for a casual fan. Running back is a lot harder and more nuanced. And it's reflected within how Vegas treats the position. Vegas, who I will always cater towards more than anybody else, because their sole goal is putting out lines and understanding what is going to make us exorbitant amounts of money. And 
point spreads never really move with running back injuries, which is a great indicator that Vegas doesn't necessarily recognize the position to be particularly impactful. When Christian McCaffrey is out and the Panthers have to play against the Cowboys, the point spread, it's just pretty much in the same place where it would be if he was playing, which is bizarre because Christian McCaffrey, incredible player. Nobody would argue otherwise. However, if Aaron Rodgers is not there and Brett Hundley starting in his place, you see that point spread move by over a touchdown, right? Positional value, that's reflected within the Vegas line. So now we start getting into the discussion of the interchangeable nature of the running back position. And why I want to talk about this today is because I was thinking about it two Sundays ago as I was watching the Minnesota Vikings play football. They have two tailbacks, Dalvin Cook, Alexander Madison. Dalvin Cook is one of the most gifted tailbacks in the league. No one would argue otherwise. He's been that since he entered into the league. Two weeks ago, he's got a hurt ankle. He's out with injury. So the Vikings are hosting the Seahawks and in steps Alexander Madison. Now, Alexander Madison, I've picked him up in fantasy for this matchup. So I'm watching the game with not a wandering eye. I'm kind of locked in going, all right, I want to see what this looks like. I know that in the past, he's been able to replicate from a fantasy standpoint, which is different from real life. He's been able to replicate a lot of the numbers that Dalvin Cook can provide. Uh, However, you know, I'm watching it going, I'd like to see just how he stacks up from the eye test compared to Dalvin Cook. So Alexander Madison steps in, and like we've seen him do in the past when he's stepped in for an injured Cook, there's really no drop-off in production. In the game, he has 26 carries for 112 yards. He has six catches for 59 yards. He plays a role in helping Minnesota beat Seattle by two possessions. Even more bizarre, though, than just this simple volume is that as I watch, Madison passes the eye test, just like Cook does. They both look like good tailbacks, which is strange for me because I do believe that Dalvin Cook is one of the best tailbacks in the league. And I'm watching Alexander Madison and I'm going, is this one of the best tailbacks in the league or... Is this more a product of surroundings? So now you start to open up the discussion even further to the team building aspect of things, which I always find to be very interesting because the NFL is a hard capped league. You obviously, within that structure, have a finite amount of resources, draft capital and salary cap dollars. And so you have to say, where do we want to dedicate all these resources? How are we going to build a winning football team? What is the best avenue towards doing that. We have a great quarterback. Yeah, that's probably the best, but what is our philosophy? Are we going to build out the lines? Are we going to dedicate money or draft capital to wideout or cornerback or where? A running back. And I always look at it and go, "Uh, based on what I'm seeing, it seems like this position is somewhat interchangeable when you have all of these high caliber athletes in a way that it seems strange that you would dedicate a decent amount of resources to the position. That's reflected in looking at the Minnesota Vikings. Uh, Dalvin Cook, he's drafted in the second round. Last year, he signs a five-year, $63 million contract extension. Again, nobody's arguing that he's not one of the best tailbacks in the league. However, in a hard-capped league, 
when you're looking at the tough questions of, well, what position do we want to cut corners on? Running back is the one that in my mind always floats to the top, especially when I watch two weeks ago and say, Dalvin Cook's great. I'd love to have him on the roster, but now you're paying him five years, $63 million contract. And Alexander Madison looks like he is just kind of doing the same thing. And you drafted him in the third round in 2019, and he's still playing on his rookie contract, which is four years, $3.4 million, less than $1 million per year. In a hard cap league, it's a pretty big gap between paying your tailback, who is replicating similar production, less than a million dollars, rather than $12 million per year. So... From a team building perspective, I think you're probably getting a pretty good grasp of my opinion on the matter. I just don't really understand the mindset of dedicating valuable dollars or really high draft capital in a hard cap league to the position. Now, I mentioned high draft capital because that segues nicely into examination of another team and a draft choice. Kansas City Chiefs, who I mentioned earlier, one of the best offenses in football over the last few years, and Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, their tailback who was drafted in the first round of the 2020 draft. I was kind of excited for it at the time, even though I just don't really believe in drafting tailbacks in the first round. I go, I mean, he was great at LSU, just helped lead him to a national title. Seems like he could come in and just go crazy. They already have everything else in place. When they had Kareem Hunt there before he was released for a domestic violence situation, he was going off. And then even with... Damian Williams or Daryl Williams or pick a Williams, any Williams on planet Earth. If you put a Williams into the Chiefs offense, they're giving you good production. So now he comes in and he's entering into his second or he's into his second season. And last year I had him on my fantasy team. So I'm watching very closely going, oh, sweet. He's going to go off. It's going to be crazy. And instead, what I've watched is somebody who seems interchangeable with the Williams, the Williamses of the world. Last year, it didn't really seem like there was a difference between him and Damian Williams. This year, I watch and go, is there really much of a difference between you and Daryl Williams? And granted, Edwards Alaire, he's played nicely the last two games. He's run for 100 plus yards. And yet, my feeling as I watch the Chiefs offense, as I watch him, I go, isn't there almost anybody who can do this? Like anybody that meets that threshold I mentioned earlier. You have enough athletic ability to play tailback in the NFL. Couldn't an undrafted free agent do this or a seventh round draft choice or a veteran tailback that you're paying a million dollars? Couldn't anybody do this? This is a terrifying offense that everybody is selling out to stop. Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey and Patrick Mahomes are going to be running at light boxes the entire game because of those reasons. It seems strange that even a franchise that's very smart and has just pieced together a really good football team for a long time, it seems strange that even they would fall into the trap of, we're going to spend a first round draft choice last year at the running back position when you watch them this season and go, you have one of the worst defenses in the entire league. Do you not think that if you're having to allocate resources that those would be better served at a different position. And you just could have re-signed Damien Williams and had him start for not a lot of money relative to what other teams like the Minnesota Vikings are paying for that position. 
So this goes into a topic of discussion about my own team, the Green Bay Packers. Because I, I think the debate about running back value, even though sometimes I fall into the trap of just saying it's cut and dry, it's as simple as it seems. I watch Green Bay every week very closely. And if I'm willing to admit it, it might not be as simple as I'm making it out to be. Because they have two tailbacks on their roster, Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon. And this has been a whole interesting juggling act of positional value, asset allocation. And when you're looking at yourself as a Super Bowl contender, what is the best avenue to assure that you are that? Two years ago, the Packers draft A.J. Dillon in the second round, 2020. At the time, I'm mad about the pick because of the whole positional value stuff that's coming out. And I also assume that it means, okay, Green Bay's drafting him because they're not planning on extending Aaron Jones, which I'm kind of bummed out about because Aaron Jones is a great football player. Now, last offseason, Aaron Jones is extended. Four-year, $48 million contract, $12 million per year. So now I'm a little bit confused because I go, well, I thought we were drafting Aaron Jones' replacement because we spent a second round draft pick on him last year, and now we've actually extended him. So we have a high draft choice, relatively high, and $12 million against the cap every single season dedicated towards the position. I also am watching the Packers. And as I watch them, I go, this is a pretty compelling one-two punch. Jones is your lead. Dylan is the hammer. Um, running back contracts, they never make a lot of sense. And yet I understand paying $12 million a year to Aaron Jones because he is the only true game breaker, <clears throat> excuse me, on Green Bay's offense. The only true game breaker. I know that you're hearing that and going, well, what about Devonta Adams? Aaron Jones is the only person on their roster that is equipped to take a play that has five yards written on it and hit a hole like that and go for 80. He's the only player on their roster who possesses that capability. A.J. Dillon, very different stylistically. He's effective in, in a much smaller role when he comes in and he's just monster mashing for four and six and eight yards at a time as he was doing on Sunday against the Steelers. However, I want Green Bay to win a Super Bowl very much. Uh... We have the last dance Packers season going on right now where a lot of people think Aaron Rodgers is going to be gone after the year. Puts a lot of pressure on Green Bay to win the Super Bowl this year when they have the quarterback that allows them to do so. And as soon as he's gone, it's probably rebuild time. So evaluating the Packers as a Super Bowl contender, we go back to this team building issue and the idea that you're going to have to cut corners somewhere, right? Packers are invested at the running back position. Could that have been put to better use elsewhere? I don't know. I'm not fully sold that there's a clear-cut answer to this position because part of the identity of this team is balance, running, passing, and using those two things in conjunction to get defenses head spinning. And if they're trying to take away the pass, we're more than capable of just running over and over and over. And we'll beat you six yards and eight yards at a time like they did last year against the Rams in the playoffs when the Rams said, we're not going to give up any big plays down the field. All right, sweet. We're going to run and we're going to throw short passes. And if teams sell out and say, man, Aaron Jones is gashing us and A.J. Dillon's gashing us, 
we don't want that to happen, then the Packers go, great, we're going to run play action off that, and we're going to go bombs away, and now Devontae Adams is going to chew you up, and Marquez Valdez-Scantling, and Robert Tunyon, and go down the list of what's going to happen. That's the identity of Green Bay's team. It's how they had, statistically, the best offense in football last year. Part of the building of that offense and that identity, it's tied into asset allocation at the position. Even if I want to go, uh, but could we just have maybe rearranged this a little bit differently? Because there are certain weeks that I flop to the other side. And I go, I love A.J. Dillon, but they're not using him a lot. He's a backup tailback, which, I mean, Kylan Hill, he's, you draft him in the seventh round or whatever. He could be doing pretty much the same thing. Or you could have gotten an undrafted free agent to do the same thing. And when I watch this defense play in the wrong week when they're just a complete train wreck and can't cover and can't rush the passer, I really wouldn't mind having an extra second round pick dedicated towards that side of the ball. Especially when you know that you're going to re-sign Aaron Jones, who I do think deserves that contract. Even if the, the nerd side of me says you never pay money at the running back position. You just draft somebody in the third round like Alexander Madison and you replace them. That's where I think this subject and this topic is interesting because I do have opinions on it. And yet within my own team, I'm going, uh, I do kind of understand the other side. That leads us into the classic cautionary tale of a running back contract. Dallas Cowboys and Ezekiel Elliott, who right now is forming a great one-two punch with Tony Pollard for what has been maybe the best offense in football this season. Zeke has had a resurgence the last two weeks. Great game against the Eagles on Monday night. Great game on Sunday against the Panthers. He's running for 100 yards. He's catching passes out of the backfield. He's scoring touchdowns. He's doing the weird eating his soup or whatever that is. Eat your tomato soup. I'm assuming that's what it is. Uh, But as I'm watching him, I'm also watching Tony Pollard get a lot more snaps this season and watch the Cowboys find ways to work him into the offense. Not a 50-50 split, but, you know, let's say 60-40. And last year, I would watch the Cowboys and go, I think that Tony Pollard might be better than Zeke. This was Zeke last year when he seemed out of shape and lethargic, and I don't know what was going on with him. And Tony Pollard had pop and burst. This year, Zeke looks rejuvenated. He's not the game breaker he was when he was drafted in 2016, but he always runs with power. He's got more quickness. He's shifty, and he can chew people up. The weird part is, I think a lot of people are now watching Tony Pollard and they're saying what I was saying last year, which is just first and foremost, this guy is pretty dang good. Looks like he could easily be a starting tailback in the league. That's interesting because Tony Pollard comes from the same, uh, the same philosophy or whatever you want to call it as Alexander Madison. Fourth round draft pick in 2019, currently on a four year $3.2 million contract. Less than $1 million per year. So the Cowboys, they have kind of gone a different route than what the nerds would want them to do. They have dedicated a vast amount of resources strictly towards Zeke Elliott as their starter, who's been a very good tailback for the duration of his career. They picked him fourth overall in 2016. Already, that's a little too much for me to stomach, no matter how good you are as a tailback. Top four draft pick. 
especially in that class when you're going, you could have just not picked him and picked Jalen Ramsey, who's been the best cornerback in football pretty much throughout his career. They double down on that, the Cowboys do, by signing Zeke to a six-year, $90 million contract that he's currently in the middle of. That is a lot of resources for one individual tailback, even one who is talented, even one who has been pretty dang good throughout the duration of his career. Top four draft pick and a six-year, $90 million contract. This is where I get lost. Because on my team, I'm seeing it and I go, there are resources dedicated here, but second round draft choice here, $12 million a year here for the duration of four years. I get what you're going for. I don't. Sometimes I love it, sometimes I don't. The Cowboys, I go, I don't know because I'm watching Tony Pollard from a production and from an eye test standpoint pretty much give you what Zeke is giving you in present day, paying him less than $1 million a year. And you've dedicated a top four draft choice and a lot of money just to have Zeke as your starter. Pollard's giving you jolt. He's giving you pop, giving you the production. He's passing the eye test. Uh, when the Cowboys look at themselves through that same prism that I mentioned with the Packers, because they've looked awesome at the start of the season. They look legitimately like an up-and-coming team that maybe by season's end, we could consider to be a Super Bowl contender. If you're looking at yourself through that prism and saying, all right, we're going to have to start asking some tough questions if we truly are a Super Bowl contender. We have Dak and an incredible stable of pass catchers, C.D. Lamb, Amari Cooper, Michael Gallup, who's injured. He hasn't been playing. Dalton Schultz is somehow good. We have a defense that's giving us way more than we thought. They're forcing turnovers every game. Trayvon Diggs is who knows where he came from. He's been one of the best cornerbacks. Randy Gregory, my former Cornhusker, he's rushing the passer. Great. I mean, what's going on here? When you start understanding maybe we have something here, that's when it's time to look at the decisions you've made in the past. Actually, ideally, you would look at them as you're making them, but now we reflect upon them in hindsight. And I go, well... There's a lot of examples of having quality tailbacks for pennies on the dollar. Tony Pollard would be a great example. And do you think that a Super Bowl contender could use an extra $15 million in cap space to help flush out their roster in maybe different areas when they could be utilizing Tony Pollard as their starter and get somebody to be his backup that you're not dedicating a high draft choice to or, or a lot of salary cap money? You can find them... A lot of different places. You could look to the way that the Jacksonville Jaguars unearthed James Robinson. Undrafted last year. Stepped in immediately. One of the better tailbacks in football. Great production. Look at what the Falcons are doing this year with Cordero Patterson. Signed off the scrap heap for nothing. Now he's giving them valuable reps and scoring touchdowns and all that kind of stuff at the tailback position. Could you not have installed uh, Tony Pollard making less than a million dollars a year? as your starter and grab somebody along those lines of a James Robinson or Cordell Patterson as your backup and then dedicate resources that you've used in present day towards Zeke elsewhere? I would always say yes. I think that's part of a smarter team building strategy. However, it's not to say that you can't find success dedicating resources to tailback. Now, I'll bring up one more person who might be the exception to the rule of the interchangeable nature of the running back position. 
Derrick Henry of the Tennessee Titans. He never gets injured, so we haven't fully been able to see what they look like without him. And if that production can still be there, and if that person passes the eye test, not in the same way because he's so unique, but just in a somewhat similar manner. Like we've seen across the board for a lot of tailbacks who've gone down, whether that was Christian McCaffrey with Mike Davis, or I mentioned Alvin Cook with Alexander Madison, just a lot of people. Anybody who's ever played tailback for the San Francisco 49ers, Raheem Mostert, Jeff Wilson, Tevin Coleman, now into Trey Sermon, go down the list. They all have similar production. They all pass the eye test. They're all gifted athletes. Derrick Henry, as I talk about this, maybe he's the exception. So much of what Tennessee does on offense is tied into his skill set. They've been a great offense the last couple of years. This year, they're trying to find their way through injuries in a transition in coaching staff. Derrick Henry, you know him. He's the big, strong, fast dude. Those attributes get ramped up the more the game wears on. Nobody wants to tackle the guy who's just a Goliath of a human who's faster than everybody on the field. Can you picture the Tennessee Titans offense without him? It's hard for me to do that. Can you picture them with Jeremy McNichols as their starting tailback and what that means? It's also hard for me to do that. I would really like to, not that I want him injured, but I would just like to see it for the sake of this particular discussion and this philosophy that I like examining. Derrick Henry, he's currently on a four-year, $50 million deal that was signed in 2020. Seems like he's worth that money, honestly. This comes from somebody who just doesn't understand dedicating a lot of resources to the position. Seems like he's worth it. This season, even though the Titans are 2-2, two and two, Derrick Henry is currently averaging 127.5 yards per game. That's more on a per-game basis than he was averaging last year when he ran for over 2,000 yards. Pretty historic season for him. As you look at the AFC South, just the dregs of society all reside there. Not good football teams. He honestly looks like it might be the... He's the only separator between who is going to win this division. I think the Titans are the favorites, and it's just tied into the fact that they have him. A.J. Brown's out with injury. Julio Jones is out with injury. All right, Derrick Henry's still going to run for 150 yards like he did for last Sunday against the Jets. It seems really hard to envision somebody mimicking what Derrick Henry does, what he brings to the table for Tennessee in a way that we've seen playing out with the Vikings two weeks ago. You know, six foot three, 250 pound dude. Incredible speed. He is a lot. I put him in the same vein as Lamar Jackson because they're both very unique. And they both have also shown that over the course of the last few seasons, you can craft a winning, successful offense around their ability to run. Lamar is obviously different. He's a quarterback. He brings more things to the table than just running. Part of what is built into his ability is that you have to respect his passing because that's also good. And he can make your head spin like a top. But in a passing league, the Titans with Henry and the Ravens with Lamar, they've both shown, meh, you can always kind of find alternate pathways to success. They might be a little harder. You might have to go a little bit out of your way to build up this identity, but you can do that. Lamar, transcendent running ability. Derrick Henry, also transcendent running ability. Derrick Henry has been the driving force behind 
Tennessee's offensive success over the last few years. Yeah, they're 2-2 two and two right now, but last couple of years, I mean, Tennessee's been one of the better teams in football, especially on the offensive side of the ball. Make the playoffs last year, two years ago, make the AFC title game, and that's powered by Henry just running over people, including a huge upset of Lamar and Baltimore in the divisional round that put them into the AFC title game where they ended up losing to Kansas City. Maybe he's the exception to the rule. But as as I wrap up this show, I kind of want to circle back to two of those questions that I mentioned at the top. That I'm sure by now you probably are getting a good feel for my opinion on, even though I don't necessarily think that it's cut and dry. Everybody should think this way and the answers are set in stone. You might listen to this and say, hmm, I have some qualms about my personal opinion on this and I think differently and here are the reasons why. And I'm not here to tell you that you're necessarily wrong. That first question, is there truly a separation in talent at the position of running back? Or do your surroundings dictate your ability to perform to such a degree that nothing else really matters? That one, I think, in the vast, vast, vast majority of instances, the answer is your surroundings dictate who you are. And I say that with the understanding of what I said at the start. All of these tailbacks who can possibly play in the NFL are incredible athletes. So once you put that into position, what is there and what is available, it's pretty much dependent upon your blocking and your scheme. I don't necessarily think that's a knock. I think it's just an acknowledgement of how much of a team sport football is. And when you distill that down to the bottom... The running back is probably the most dependent position upon surroundings. Even for somebody like Derrick Henry. Uh, I think the individual talent there, I do think it raises the bar. But if you don't block, Derrick Henry is going to have uh, he's gonna have problems trying to run if he's getting hit behind the line four times a game or four yards behind the line of scrimmage. Look at Najee Harris on Pittsburgh, who I actually do think is talented and good and has had no success whatsoever rushing the football at any point this year, he's getting hit two yards behind the line of scrimmage seemingly on every run. I just don't think you can survive if your blocking in your scheme does not create an environment where your actual athletic ability can shine. And the second part of this entire discussion of the importance of running back, of the interchangeable nature of just rushing in the NFL. That's the second question. How important is it to be able to run the football in a passing league? I go back to the Packers and I say, I actually think it's very important because part of their identity is that balance. When Green Bay just has to drop back and throw every single snap, it takes away a lot of what makes them so dangerous as a football team. So through that context, I go, well, yeah, I get what the nerds are saying. I get that 6.4 yards per play is always greater than 4.4 yards per play. It's easy to just understand. Yeah, even through that stat, I, I go, well, yeah, running still will always be important to a certain degree. Because balance helps. Uh, creates a situation where defenses don't know what's coming. Allows you to thrive, hopefully, on both sides of those ball or both aspects of that of the offense. Situational football, that's 
a thing that exists. Sometimes you have third and one and third and two, and it really helps if you can just simply line up and overpower your opponent and gain three yards. Foundation of Tennessee's identity with Derrick Henry. And all those things tie into what I also believe to be true, which is you can you can always craft a winning identity around the ground game. I do believe that. I'm not saying it's the easiest route. I don't actually think it is in present day. I think the easiest route is to get a quarterback and a good play caller and surround them with talent and let it rip. But you can always craft a winning identity around the ground game, even in today's league that's catered towards passing. Baltimore, Tennessee, those are two that come to mind. Those are the two that have leaned that way. I'm really interested to see Baltimore, a team that is kind of founded upon analytics. It's interesting the idea that they're the team who has leaned into running, still being effective, and this is what we are going to build our offense upon. The most analytical team in football. Seems like two things that are clashing, and yet they have crafted a really good football team ever since Lamar has been there. And even before that, but still in present day, ground game. There are many avenues to winning, right? And because of that, I do believe that in the right hands, running the football is still one of them. Remember to subscribe to our YouTube channel at CEO.com.